In our culture, we learn through stories. But what if the stories we hear don't match the reality of life? What if the stories we hear every day that tell us how to write the narrative of our lives actually lead us to a false narrative? My name is Tim Kroll, and on this podcast, you will hear real stories, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Real people sharing the hard times, the bends in the roads along life's journey. If you're ready to join a community of other real people who are writing the narrative of their lives, then go to narrative.live and join the community. Now let's dive into today's show. Everybody, man, oh man, another story, another journey. Man, I don't even know how to express these sometimes because I get really excited because I know some of the outcomes. I know where, for example, Robert, who we're going to talk about, I know where they're at currently. I know the great things that they're doing, but we don't always get to hear behind the scenes stories. We don't always get to hear that journey that's happened and some of the beliefs that were formed. But I want to say welcome, Robert. I'm excited about this. I'm excited to hear some of this journey stuff because I was snooping. I was doing some research on your history through LinkedIn. So <laughs> I know a little bit about it, but I'm interested to see how those transactions happened or how the transitions actually, how they all came about. So let's get started again. Like we usually do. We meet in an elevator. You got 30 seconds. Who are you, Robert? Uh, well, Tim, I'm a father, a grandfather, a husband, and a follower of Jesus first and foremost. And so I guess for me, the the legacy that, that I want to leave is is a legacy of love and, and helping people see that our impact in the world, the, the amount of money we make is irrelevant if we don't have relationships and mm. we haven't done something with other people that matters. And and the people that matter the most to me are, are my family. Mm. You know, I've been married for 32 years and have a great relationship with my children and I'm building a great relationship with my grandchildren. And my, my hope is to impact their lives in a way that helps them to express the love that they feel for other humans and, and see the world in a, in a positive light rather than the negative light that's been, you know, is, is constantly bombarded around us. And so that's the exact word I was going to use. It's just like, it's bombarding us <laughs> You hear that you've been married for 32 years. You actually got me by five years. And then we just had our first grandbaby at the time of this recording just a couple of days ago. So we're, I'm just right behind you almost on that journey. So it's exciting to hear you've got that much going on and there's a lot of value in the family aspect. And so I'm really excited to hear this. So all right, so let's jump into what was it like growing up? What were the values? What were the things that you thought it was going to be like before you became an adult, before you stepped into that? What were the narratives that were being kind of embedded into you at that time? I, I mean, it's interesting. So our family moved to Colorado when I was when I was really young, and my dad became a steel worker and was working second shifts and graveyard shifts. And so mom was, you know, kind of raising us, even though, you know, Dad was around, but for a lot of the daily activities, you know, we didn't see him. And so the world was a little different. Our house was a mile and a half away from any other house. And so my sister and I were our only friends. Like we had mm. no choice but to hang out and, and uh, grow up with each other because we were so far away from, from anyone else. And at the time when I, when I started really middle school, right, I, I was a little kid, uh, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't popular by, by any means. I, I tried to play basketball in middle <laughs> school and man, there were just some kids that were organized and had it all together. And I was just like the, 
the victim kid. Like the, <laughs> there was just this, no, I just didn't fit, I guess would be the the piece that I would say. And yeah, I mean, I can, I, was, can I pause you a minute just because absolutely. that word victim is thrown around in our society quite a bit. Can you kind of define that a little bit and what you mean by that? Because like I said, we've heard that that we've heard that word a lot, especially right now in our society. So what what do you mean by you felt like you were the victim? Sure. I mean, these kids just relentlessly, I mean, bullied me. I I, I don't like to talk about it in a, as a bullying story, but the truth of the matter at the time was, yeah, I was I, <laughs> I felt like, you know what? I I didn't have a lot of friends, I didn't have a lot of confidants. I didn't have any confidence in myself and and these kids just were, you know, relentlessly <laughs> abusing me <laughs> in, at least in my own mind, I was being, you know, shoved around, pushed around, basically told that I, you know, no, you don't, you just don't belong here. Right. And it really impacted how I felt about myself, of course, and how I was showing up. And there were opportunities that I had that that I was starting to to grow up and develop. I I joined you know joined Scouts early on, and Dad got that was kind of the first place Dad and I got involved together, and things started to shift. But the real shift for me didn't really happen until our family our family moved. Right, so eighth grade. Hey, so I kind of pause me on that because I, I, I there's a there's a lot of people that have gone through exactly what you've said that you're going through, and, and you mentioned that it had an impact on who you thought you were. And some people are able to, like you said, we, we get, sometimes we get a shift and we can grow out of it. And some people have had that experience, but some people haven't been able to grow out of that idea, concept of that value that a bully kind of puts on you. So can we, if it's okay with you, can we kind of define that piece and say, this is what I thought about myself because of this scenario? Yeah. I mean, I think the challenge is, especially for a young you know, preteen, you know, that, that age in life where your body's changing, your hormones are changing, you're shifting from, you know, just being a kid to, to these, this, this idea of, you know, relationships and other things matter. And, and for me at the time, I just, it was just lonely and it felt like nobody wanted me around and we were already isolated enough, you know, in the house we were living in and, you know, at the time, I, I mean, I rode my bike a little bit, but to ride a couple miles to see other kids just wasn't really, wasn't very realistic. And so, so there was this isolation and this feeling that I didn't belong. And, and a big piece of it was because I was, I was allowing other people's opinions of me to drive who, who I was being, who I was showing up as, especially at school, right? I, I was basically being manipulated into believing these things about myself. And of course they weren't true, right? There, you know, other people's opinions don't impact who you truly are unless you allow them to. And that was right. kind of a big shift that, that I was blessed to be able to go through and, and figure out. And not a lot of people, you're right. There are a lot of people that get stuck there and are still stuck there and believe that, you know, the world, what the world is telling you about yourself is, is true. And whether that's your teachers, your parents, or or other kids, it's not true. And 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 you get to choose. And, and I was blessed with an opportunity that made it a little easier, I think, for me to choose. And so that's kind of the the next stage. And right, right. Uh, well, and I I think that's so. What you just said, as far as it's so so impactful, because 
as I talk to people and I hear stories, and even as I counsel and work with guys and men in different pieces, it's still that, that point that you just said, one is that you felt so lonely. Two is you felt so isolated. And I believe this is going to tie into what it is that you do now, because when you opened up, you said at the beginning of it is like, I want to make sure that people feel loved and that. So the trauma that you, you experienced and the challenges, the bullying and all of that stuff there has really, truly given rise to the passion. I think that we're going to talk about here in the future of how do you spread the love? How do you spread that, that community aspect of it? So Right. Let, let's look at the transition. Cause I mean, this is, like I said, this is really, really powerful. And I know that there's a lot of guys, men, women, even kids that listen to it, that, that have felt that, that have felt that, that loneliness, that isolation. So what was the transition? What moved you from that idea, that concept that I'm the only guy that's ever gone through this, I'm lonely to now where you're looking at it. Like I can look back and I can say, I'm thankful for it. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was obviously world events and our family events. So in 1982, but after basically after my eighth grade year or as my eighth grade year in school finished, my dad was laid off. The steel mill shut down and he was out of work. So our family went from being, you know, middle-class happy mom and dad had their dream home that, you know, built on that two acres of land and, and mom wasn't working. She was a stay at home mom to, we have to move two hours away. We moved from, you know, one city to another to find work and dad, basically started over. So we moved from their dream home to a mobile home mm. <laughs> and really started over, but it was a chance for me to start over as well. And so up until that point in my life, I'd gone by Bobby. My family name was Bobby. And when we moved to Denver and I started at a new school, I decided, you know what? I'm going to be Robert. Now, Robert was my birth name. That's, that's who I'm going to be. It was really challenging for my parents to make that shift right? Because they'd called me Bobby for a dozen years, 13 years, whatever it was at the time. But it was, it was interesting that when I started at this new school, I basically decided I'm going to fully engage. And my ninth grade year was my absolute best year in school ever. I was, got the lead role in the school drama. I was on the fifth football team, although I was still the fifth quarter part of the football team. But I felt like I belonged there. Like, even though I was part of the bench <laughs> most of the time, the team still kind of embraced me. And the thing that changed even the most in the classroom was, you know, people were asking me for help in their schoolwork and I was needed, but it wasn't that they changed. It was that I had changed. And so I was how, how, like, let's talk about that. Like, how do you think or what, obviously you, you changed the name a little bit to kind of create this new identity. Was that a mask that you were wearing or was this truly who you are? I mean, I think it really was truly who I, who I was. And I, I had the opportunity to reinvent myself or show up as my true self without the impact of what other people thought. And this idea that when you walk into a room and you don't care what other people think, all of a sudden they don't put their opinions on you, right? It wasn't that the bullies weren't there at this school, but because I didn't care, I was no longer a magnet to them. Right, I was no longer an easy, easy prey, and mm. and it's interesting that yeah, that's the only thing that really changed. But but what it the impact that it had in my relationships with other kids and and in how I was performing in school was overwhelming. I had perfect attendance in ninth grade. I didn't miss a single day of school, and and I think all of that, all of those pieces just came together. And yet, it was in the midst of a huge family struggle. Like my yeah. dad had lost a lot 
financially and economically, we kind of went from having it all to being in this little mobile home in a mobile home park right across the street from the school where, where that would be easy bully fodder, right? Like, you know, oh, you're look, you're the loser family living in the mobile home park. And, and yet our family kind of elevated <laughs> above that economic situation. And it, that wasn't a part of our identity. It, it just didn't matter where we lived. It mattered that we were there together and that we were, you know, starting over together and the future was bright, even if it felt exactly the opposite. Well, let, let's just kind of draw that out or, or explain that a little bit. Like the impact of your parents being so involved, even when they were going through so much trauma or so much challenges. And, and like you said, in the world's eyes, we've got financial success and you've got it all, but you were miserable. And then you flip that. You don't have it all like the world views it, but you were the happiest and the most, I say fulfilled would be the right word for that. So what was the impact? I mean, how did your parents impact you? What were the other parts of that? I'm sure that they instilled a lot of values during that time, especially at 13, about the importance of family because you're living in now. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think they were struggling through it too, right? This was, this was new for them. They'd kind of done it once before when just even our move to Colorado was kind of like a relaunch for them. But I think my dad was, was recognized the power of hard work, right? He recognized that, look, I've, I've built my, our family before I can, I can build it again. And not the, the family aspect of it, but you know, the financial, the work yeah. and paying the bills and, and, you know, we only spent a year in that mobile home before they'd bought another house. And even if it wasn't the best house, they, they still, you know, were moving, moving back up the, up the scale of, you know, this was, this was our hope, you know, and there were some, some realities like, you know, look, we're, we don't have any money saved up for college. And so we don't know what that looks like for you guys. And so in my case, it, it meant I chose to go into the Marine Corps right after high school. And my sister happened to go to the Air Force Academy. And so my parents didn't have to pay for an education for, for either one of us. And, and it was fine. Like we're, we're both, you know, grown up all just fine and dandy and now yeah. I have a master's degree that mom and dad didn't have to pay for. So I wish I hadn't had to pay for it too, but <laughs> now that I have it looking back anyway. <laughs> yeah. And it's so powerful. Some of these things. So if, if we were to sum it up and I'm kind of looking at some of the, the shifts and the challenges and the narratives and what would you say would be, cause it sounded like 13 was the big shift for you where it actually you identified and, I, and I've seen this in different ages all across. How did you identify the false narrative of not accepting somebody else's opinion of who you were, not accepting somebody else's value of who you were? And, and can you sum up that narrative that you kind of felt like you accepted prior to that ninth grade, prior to the age 13? Yeah. I, you know, I wish, I wish I, looking back, it's easy to say, wow, that was the magic bullet. But the reality at the time was I had no idea. Right. For, for me at, at that time, I think I was just sick and tired of being the little guy. And so I'd made the decision that I'm not going to care what other people think. And I'm just going to be me and being me turned out to be exactly what I needed. Yeah. And I think that the narrative that you believe prior to that, or, you know, when you're younger is that, you know, what other people think of you matters and, and trying to make other people happy, right. Trying to be a people pleaser. And, and being a people pleaser really set me up for 
the abuse, right? The just, you know, <laughs> here's this guy we're just going to toss all our crud at because that's, you know, here's the kid we're going to shove in the locker because he'll let us, <laughs> right? <laughs> and and I think that the difference is when you walk into a room with a different level of, I know who I am, it, it no longer, and I think that was the only thing that really shifted, right? I didn't have this whole thought process of, I mean, I did think about it enough to say, you know what? I want to change to being Robert. And, and, but the difference is Robert's not, Robert doesn't care what other people think about who he is. Robert's just, this, this has a different level of I'm okay. And even if it's just okay, it's not, I'm, I'm here to get, you know, I'm not lost. I, I guess maybe that was the piece, no. right? Cause the I lost yeah. little guy, right? He's easy to shove around and tell, Hey, go over there. Hey, do this. Hey, you know, versus standing up for yourself and, and being okay. Just, Hey, I'm okay. I don't need you to tell me where to go or what to do, or I got this. Yeah. And I, I think there's a level of confidence that that aura of a confidence that just gives off once you make that decision. Was there anything that inspired you to kind of hit that wall? Was there an event or something that just kind of like, man, I'm, and we talk about this sometimes where we make covenants with ourselves. Like I am never going to, and then we make a covenant. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're bad, but it, it sounds like you kind of hit the wall on something. Yeah. Well, one of those bullies, it just pushed me enough that, you know, out on the playground, I finally decided, you know what? It's time. I, this kid, of course he's huge. And I said, all right, we're just going to fight. Cause maybe that's the only way I can stand up for myself. And, uh, it was a one punch fight. Like, I said, let's do it. He punched me in the head and I saw those little birds and stars that I had to sit down because that was all that was going to happen. And so it was, of course, at that moment, I realized like, okay, I don't want to do that ever again. <laughs> so you had to find another way to stand up and uh, something. Yeah. But it was, it even changed at that school. Like, like the minute I was willing to stand up for myself, things started to shift. Hmm. And other kids saw things differently, even though I clearly lost the fight. Like it was a very short fight, you know, but you still both get called into the principal's office and you got to explain yourself. And, and, and you know what? I'm, I was tired of being picked on. I'm tired of being shoved yeah. around and, and, and yeah, it, <laughs> I still, I still remember the, the school actually still exists. The building still exists. I was the last school year there before they condemned it and sold it to somebody, but I still huh. can drive by that school down the highway and the building and the gym and all those things are all still, still there. And the little guard shack that this little boxing match took place in front of is still sitting there. And so mm. it's like, oh Yeah. <laughs> that was the time. That was the shift. That was, that's really, so, so let's go into what you do and how you live and how you craft your narrative today. Obviously you share some of the values that you have with the family and, you know, with your immediate kids and then grandkids, but what would you define are your values? How would you say that you are writing the story and walking the journey of your life today? Well, so love is obviously, I think what we were created for. And so in my relationship with the Lord, who I really restored after getting out of the Marine Corps and, and meeting my wife. Our family grew up. We had, you know, we went to church and we were part of churches growing up, but I'd never felt, I'd never understood the gospel in the way that, that I learned after, after the Marines and that Jesus had died for me and allowed me to have this relationship with God who created me. And, and this whole idea of being created for something, 
right? Mm. And, and knowing that we exist for a purpose. And, and I think the, the purpose for humans really boils down to helping other humans. <laughs> and, and so when we, we narrow down entrepreneurship, it's really about solving problems and helping other people. And so I spent 20 years in ministry, helping people grow in their faith, helping people grow in their relationship with the Lord. A lot of that was consulting churches, pastors, and missionaries on how to run their operations, how to be more effective you know, with their systems and processes. And so when I stepped out of the church, I kind of leaned into the coaching training space, but it really entrepreneurs are a lot like missionaries. And so my heart just loves those people that are willing to do something a little bit different, willing to do something that a lot of people aren't willing to do and to help them not be lonely and isolated, right? It's easy to be lonely and isolated as, a, as an entrepreneur and feel like, you know, you're, you're the only one, right? I'm the only one experiencing these, these feelings of inadequacy, these feelings of, of man, I'm, I just, I'm, I'm missing something, right? And so to be able to come alongside entrepreneurs and, and support them in their journey, and then to, to really have a, a better understanding of legacy and scripture, you know, Proverbs 13, 22 says a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. That's wealth, right? And, and as you know, now stepping into this grandfather space, your idea of wealth and inheritance shifts and you start to think about what's, what's the impact, right? And it's not necessarily about money. It's, it's about, you know, what's the impact I can leave for my children. And of course it's leave the planet a better place, leave the world a better place. But really what is, what is it that I can set my children up for, for their success in their family and in their, in their workspace? And so thinking about that for, for our grandchildren, right? My, of course, my wife, her plans are, you know, trips to Disney world and taking the grandkids and travel. Like she's picking out her car based on how many grandkids she can stuff in each of the seats. And, and so, yeah, we want to do those things, but, but really what does it look like long-term to, to impact your children's lives, to impact your, your grandchildren's lives and set them up in a way that they can experience the same love, the same connection and find their purpose and impact, right? To leave the world a better place in some way. So, so I guess that's kind of the space we're in now and yeah. trying to help other business owners kind of do the same thing, right? Figure out what is, so, what does legacy mean to you? Right. I, and I, I love where you're at because you're thinking long-term and you're thinking the extended aspect of it. Too often entrepreneurs, especially many of those probably that you even work with, get stuck in the here and now. And they, they, they just look at what's the next thing that I have to do. So there's two questions that I'd like to ask. One is, what would you say to those that are stuck in the here and now? And then the second question, you can answer whichever one you want first. The second question is, what do you do on a daily basis to make sure that that future is going to become what it is that you're envisioning? Because that's, that's a powerful thing. The future is powerful, but, but you have to act today. What are you doing today to be able to get that, that future to become a reality? Oh, those are both great questions. So the first one, I guess we'll, we'll dig in first. Cause that is, that is primarily what I try to help entrepreneurs do, right? Is see something bigger than themselves. See that 10 X vision instead of just, you know, Hey, if I make 10% more this year, I make 10% more this year, right? With that's a job mentality, right? If I can just get a dollar more an hour, if I, yeah, the, the job mentality never takes us beyond what we're capable of. And I think when you start to create a vision of the future, you shift the things that you think about and you shift when, when you try to do something you've never done before, you, you shift the possibilities. 
and you start to think much differently and much bigger and much your brain solves more problems than than you think you're capable of <laughs> and so helping business owners get out of that short-sighted vision into this longer term vision really helps to change the narrative that they're creating for themselves but it only can happen if they can let go of this little window <laughs> and start to see start to see this much bigger horizon yeah and and the the part of the way i do that i guess is is some of the routines, you know, so obviously I, I spend time in, in God's word every day. I spend time talking to, to him and trying to make sure my vision is always in alignment with, with his vision, which I think is loving humanity, right? How can I impact more people and, and help more businesses impact more people in a positive way? And I think trying to maintain that, that vision, right? Always trying to think bigger and, and different. And so, you know, our conversations, my wife and I in the car because she's a partner in my business is, is, you know, what does it look like to, to leave an inheritance for our grandchildren? You know, obviously is it, I mean, there could be a piece of money in that, but, but, but what does it look like? Right. And trying to be intentional in that and our intentionality with our, with our children was, you know, we saw parenting as a temporary assignment. And I think huh. that was a really powerful recognition for my wife and I to be able to recognize that our marriage is bigger than parenthood. And so many parents get caught up in the role of being parents. Either <laughs> just that's all they know, right? That's what their parents did. That's what you know they've been taught. And and for us, because we it was a temporary assignment my biggest role for my in modeling for my children was to love their mother well. And I think that helped set them up to think about their relationships of loving their spouse well. And I think it, it sounds simplistic, but there's su it's a superpower to be able to love another human being in that way so that you have a longer term <laughs> potential. <laughs> right. And right. we're not thinking short-term relationships. My children don't, didn't get into their current relationships thinking, you know, Hey, we're just dating or whatever. No, they're thinking, what does this look like long-term? What does it look like to have children together? What does it look like to, to, yep. to get jobs and work together? And, and I think both of our kids are, are, I'd like to believe are pretty set up for long-term relationships with their loved one and long-term relationships as parents that, you know, will leave another generation of, of children. And, and that alone <laughs> is so different than what the world is doing right now. Yeah, totally. 100%. Which is heartbreaking in a way, right? Because obviously if we get the family piece right, then that example plays into your workspace. That example and love plays into, into the impact that you can have and, and the things that you care about in the world becomes so, it's just love, love drives so much. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh man. Yeah. And it's just a powerful, powerful legacy when you can leave that behind. And maybe, it, yeah, like you said, there is some financial that's involved with that, but more powerful is what the example is that we've shown. And more powerful is the way that you've taught the kids and the way that you've trained them up. And that's, that's, I, yeah, you're, you're speaking my heart. All right. So we're winding down here. What is the one thing that you hope somebody walks away with if they've listened to everything else, but what would that one thing be that they just have to make sure that they get this? I mean, I think, you know, find the people around you that, that you can have the most impact, right? Maybe you're not in a marriage or, or a relationship yet at this point, but 
find the friendships that you can lean into right early on in my marine days was leaning into friends right because those are the people closest to you how can you impact and, and uplift those people how can you add value to to the people that are close to you and if you have family relationships you know lean in and and work to make those relationships better because those those are the people that are going to lift you up and and build you up and together you can have a much bigger impact in the world and i think that plays into your your business your work your you know find the relationships that are going to help carry this torch into your future or set that torch up right light it up and get it going absolutely Create a spark yeah, absolutely. So, all right. Well, how can people get in touch with you? Because I'm sure that there's somebody that resonated with everything that you were saying. How can people get in contact with you? Uh, so website's bizlife, B-I-Z-L-I-F-E dot coach, bizlife.coach. And then I'm also on LinkedIn, Robert C. Peterson. You can find me there. Um, which is how we connected. So we, we connected through LinkedIn, which is awesome. I love LinkedIn on that aspect. And we will definitely have those links. We'll put them in the notes. So if you're listening to this and you want to get in touch with Robert, make sure that you go back, you read the notes, make sure you check that stuff out. And then I say this every time. One, thank you very much, Robert, for being, sharing your story. I know sometimes it's tough to talk about the past. Sometimes it's not easy to share all of the relive some of the trauma, but that's where we get the gold and that's where we have become who we are. So thank you for doing that. Second thing is if something that was stated or something that was said resonates with you and changes and has an impact, the people that we have on this podcast are of the same heart and share the vision. We want to hear from you. We truly, truly want to hear from you. Even if it's just a note saying, Hey, I appreciate what you said, or that really made an impact on me. Even if it's just that we want to hear from you. So don't hesitate to send that either directly to Robert, send it to myself. We love hearing those stories. We love hearing about the changes that are going on in your lives. So until next time, make sure you keep writing that narrative. Make sure you keep moving forward, knowing full well that you are not alone. We are here to support. We're here to encourage. Keep writing your narrative. Keep listening to these stories because it is truly going to teach you and show you how to write a true narrative. So until next time, we'll see you guys later. Thanks for listening to today's show. But before you go, let me ask you a question. How would you like to be the author of your story? Take the next step now at www.narrative.live and enter your details to connect with a community of others just like you that are tired of living under the false narrative. Finding your true story and writing your narrative, it will give you clarity, freedom of your day, and it just might change your life forever.